Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, welcome to episode 16 of the Coventry Telegraph podcast, While We Sing Together. I'm joined by special guest Steve Phelps. Uh, who's got a new book out, 29 Minutes from Wembley, the inside story of Coventry City's 1980-81 season. Um, I make that your fourth book, is that right? Fourth proper one. I've done six, I've done a couple of diaries, but this is the fourth, <laughs> where I'd say, grown-up book. So tell us about the other ones, just briefly. What else have you done? Coventry City on this day, Coventry City Miscellany, which with a nice series with pitch, Sky Blue Heroes, the 87 boys, and then this new one, the 80-81 squad, that were 29 minutes from Wembley. Okay, so you're born and bred in Coventry. Yep. When did you first start following the Sky Blues? 79, 80, when I was five. I used to get lifted over the main stand turnstile for a freebie, <laughs> sitting between the seats, jammed in, in uh, block L of the main stand. Went with um, your dad? Yeah, my dad, and then my brother followed on in later years when he was born. And uh, yeah, 79, 80. Do you remember, you remember your first game? Probably no, too young, aren't you? first memory is, is Paul Dyson's in the 1-0 January 1980 against Liverpool, 30-odd thousand plus. But the main first memory is Clive Allen's goal. Right. That goal that wasn't at Highfield Road, we're, September uh, 1980. We'll talk about that in, in a bit because I've picked that first up. Memory. What, um, so what's your day job? What I work do you do? at um, Trailfinders Travel Company in the centre of Bristol where I've been for the last 21 years. I grew up here and left in '96. And how did you get into writing then? How did you become a, an author? We had twin girls, and I found out I had a lot of spare time at home. <laughs> Not quite spare time, but I was spending every evening at home. I'd always wanted to do it, and I never got the chance through school. Basically, told don't look at writing or anything. And then we had twins, and all of a sudden I'm at home every night. They're in bed at half past seven, and you got quite a bit of spare time in between doing the washing up. Yeah, what, was it? And was it daunting at first, or you know, did you just settle effortlessly into it? Um, it's it's when somebody accepts what you've done and says, mm. "Yeah, we'll do this." And I can remember I was on a, a beach in Bude. I got a phone call to say uh, there's a guy called Dave. I can't remember. That's bad, isn't it? That's bad. Dave up at Heroes Publishing in Birmingham. And he was great. He did the first two books, January and this season's over, and then it'll be different next year. Uh, of course, it hasn't been different next year. It's been fairly much the same. Um, but he took on those books as like mini diaries of seasons. Yeah. And then they then evolved into On This Day, which is with Pitch, who I've been with, and who Jim's with as well. Um, and that was literally the seasonal calendar, filling the calendar of Sky Blue happenings, mm. uh, which was a good challenge. Um, that had to be done in three months, and that was 60-odd thousand words. I have to say, great resource for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's been reprinted. That one, they've all they've all ticked over nicely. That one was reprinted and sold about four thousand copies, mm. which is, is is quite a lot for a, a book of that sort of stature. Mm. And then the miscellanies that followed on there is like a natural flow. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's and that's a great read, isn't it? Because that's one of those books you just sort of dip in and out in, and just pick, you know, almost just open it at random and pick yeah. a page. And it's not what you something read, fascinating. You go through it from start to finish, yeah. and just dip in here and there. Especially on the calendar, it's always birthdays, like anniversaries, mm. you know, memories of your own time. Yeah, 
And so this latest um, publication, so how did the idea come about um, for that? Legends Day 2016, we were, my wife and I were guests of Dave Bennett from the Sky Blue Heroes era, um, and we were at the table, and at the table behind us was Barry Powell, Andy Blair, Gary Thompson, Dennis Mortimer, and Ian Wallace, and then when they introduced them, well, Harry Roberts introduced them all, and Andy Blair and Gary Thompson stood up, the place just roared, you know, real appreciation. Mm. Um, at that point, I then sort of said hello to them because in 1979, you could go up to the club at Highfield Road and have your photo taken with them. They put the team at the back row, there was Andy Blair and Ian Wallace in the middle row, the front row, and then a load of milk crates, and you would stand on them. So there's a picture of me with Andy Blair from 79. So obviously, I showed him that photo, yeah. to which he was thinking I was taller than him at that time. Um, <laughs> and then Gary Thompson was in it as well. So we just had a bit of a natter about it. Thought no, didn't really think no more of it until about a couple of months later when I'd had a word with Pitch because I thought, you know, you see that reception that Thompson and Blair got, and you think, well, the fans still remember them, remember that era. Mm. And of course, they'd all gone so quick. Uh, by '83, of course, there was only Steve Jacobs left. Mm. Um, and I think then, of course, we we merged into '87, and since then we're all we all still talk about '87. So it's almost like a forgotten era. Yeah. So I think that sort of triggered me off to think they do have a story. Hmm. these guys which has been proved the case yeah and how how easy or difficult was it to research and put together because I mean obviously that, that was obviously a good starting point because you, you got to meet them um, and lay a bit of groundwork but how difficult was it sort of tracking everybody down um, it was it's more the time because it's working around the fact I have every Tuesday off and then some weekends so you're factoring it in around your time but also when a footballer phones you like these guys You've got to jump. Like if Mark Heady says, call me at seven on a Thursday, you can't say, oh, I, ca I can't. Yeah. I'm doing the netball lift yeah. for my daughter. You've got to sort of say, yeah, definitely, I'll be there. Oh, welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, it's like phoning Roger Van Gogh in Bruges or Danny right. Thomas in Florida. You know, you've got, to, you've got to work around these guys. But it was Andy Blair that gave all the contacts. Gary Thompson helped out with a few. But Andy Blair literally gave quite a few of the contacts and then a few of those rolled into mm. other contacts and then getting hold of... Tommy Hutchison and Ian Wallace through Billy Bell, uh, Mick Ferguson through Leeds United for his football and community work. Um, Steve Jacobs was, it was really difficult tracking him down, but the vital cog of the team, and that took that took a fair few months. But these, Graham Oakey, and the reason I went after Graham Oakey in a polite way is because he retired that year. You know, he hadn't played a first team game since 77, but he mm -hmm. retired, and Tommy Hutchison had left so in the space of one week, I thought it was important to get their story in as well. Mm. And as a result, to get an hour of Tommy Hutchison is fantastic. Because mm. any City fan will read about Tommy Hutchison. Mm. Oh, these are all players. I mean, you mentioned Graham Oak, I remember him on a, on a, a football card. You know, yeah. he used to collect the football cards yeah. and stuff and the kit and everything. Fantastic stuff, yeah. But, uh, I, mean, but I mean, we'll talk in more depth in a minute about the, the characters and, and the detail of the book. But essentially, I mean, it's a story about... A, a potentially golden generation, isn't it? That, that sadly the powers that be didn't allow that group to stay together. Well, why was that? I mean, we, you know, you mentioned in the book um, the, the departure of Gary Thompson, which I found fascinating. You know, which um, Jimmy Hill was he the MD at the time? He's chairman. Chairman, he's come back, hadn't he? Yeah. After his management time, yeah. he'd gone on to TV and come back. Um, and he told, basically, told Gary that um, if he didn't go, the club would go bankrupt. Yeah in six weeks and, and that was how he got his move to, to yeah. West Bromwich Albion. So, I mean, was it financially driven? I think if, if they had 
a lot of the thoughts of the players is if they'd have got to that League Cup final where they generated so much income that they wouldn't have all had to go. Part of it is sitting with Paul Dyson the other week at the Crawley game, along with them before the signing. He was telling me that the loyalty bonus, it was obviously all money related, the loyalty bonus that he was due was taken away from him right. when Bobby Gould arrived and he lost £15,000. Um, it, it was then. Mm. And they put his weekly wage up by £50 so that he couldn't go on free. And I think that shows how much of a problem it was with the money. Mm. That I think they'd lost a lot in the America project, uh, the Washington Diplomat slash Detroit Express with Jimmy Hill, and he'd lost a lot of his own money. Right. And of course, a lot of money had gone into the connection as well when Ian Wallace had gone. So they weren't flush. And it's a real shame because they, they all have the view that if they'd have stayed, something really good would have happened. Because those two years in the Talbot kit, there mm. were some fine games. I mean, they had the 5 5 at Southampton, they had the 3 1 at Man City with the Steve Witten hat trick. I mean, mm. everyone remembers Steve Witten, the cannonball kid, mm. you know, with his shots. I mean, I didn't speak to him for this book uh, just because it was. A year on, but yeah. they all have their thought. Peter Bodak, you know, a real maverick. You know, mm. every goal he scored was a really good goal, and they had a good, they had a good rapport with each other. They all came through the ranks, mm. but like the class of '92. Mm. But obviously, they were allowed. They had money behind them, the class of '92, to go on and develop. Mm. Was these guys? The club didn't have the money to keep, mm. and a lot of them either went on freeze or or transferred to to what were perceived as bigger clubs. It's desperately sad, isn't it, when you look back at that and you think, you know, that the potential that was there. I mean, I mean, are you sort of convinced that, you know, had they stayed together, they could have made at least, you know, had the success of making a final, you know, at Wembley, either in the league or FA Cup. I think, I think as well, a lot of them were, a lot of them were really disappointed when Dave Sexton left because they, he was their manager at under twenty one level for Danny Thomas, Dyson, Thompson, and Mark Haley as well. Yeah. I don't think Mark Haley would have left. I think they would have. A lot of them left because of the disappointment with Sexton being fired. Mm. So I think Danny Thomas would have stayed, uh, Dyson Gillespie. I don't think there would have been an issue mm. there. Because Haley talks in the book, doesn't he, about um, uh, Sexton as a coach? And mm. when he went to um, Milan, AC Milan, was it? He's saying that everything they were doing there, and they were obviously ahead of their time, was yeah. what, what Sexton had been doing, and, yeah. and Gordon Milne as well, I think, they to a degree. They, yeah, they, they thought they were ahead of their time in terms of all the coaching. And it wasn't a slight on Bobby Gould. It was just the fact that they were just they couldn't work out if the club was going to progress, why they had made these decisions to um, offload players, and they just saw it all breaking down in front of them. I think at one point when Thompson went, they had 14 fit professionals, which you know they, at that point they were fifth in Division One. Mm. So you got Europe on the horizon, and then by the end of the season they were just about avoiding relegation. And that was 12th yeah. of Feb. Yeah. Season's end obviously start of May, yeah. and they were fifth. Mm. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Just thrash Man City 4 0 on TV. Those are the days, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, there were some experienced uh, heads um, in the squad at the time as well. And I know you spoke to Tommy Hutchison, who obviously, you know, one of the greatest players, arguably, that um, has ever pulled on the City shirt but um, and voted the most popular player, wasn't he, in the top flight era. Um, what did he have to say um, in the book? For him, I think he. His was obviously a lot of it from 72 through to 80. Mm. His was just the sheer enjoyment. He wasn't in the game to make money. He, he, he realised from going on international duty that he wasn't being paid enough. But he, he just enjoyed it. All, all his colleagues revered about the way he set them, set them up. He wasn't about scoring the glory for himself. Mm. He, beat the, he beat his man three or four times. 
and set up for him. And then his obviously his memory goes on to the cup final in eighty one when he scored in the same end as he says, not both ends. Um, off his shoulder, not head. But he, he just enjoyed his time at Coventry. He he liked the way that the club made players feel welcome when they joined mm. and you think that's a big factor in why they had such a good youth section that came through. But he went off to Seattle in the summers and made more money he said in six weeks than he made on you know, years in the club. Incredible, Same for Mick Cooper, Detroit, because obviously the North American Soccer League was bringing the money in. Um, but I mean, Tommy, Tommy Hutchison, Colin Steen, he talks about Colin Steen, which a lot of fans will, will recognise mm. from that era. Mm. Um, but he was just, just a, a real talent. Mm. And he must have had a, a great influence on those young players coming through as well. I mean, they must have looked up to him. All the and preparation for games. You know, he wasn't, you know, whether he was out and about in the pubs when I see the photos, who knows. <laughs> but I mean, he didn't let, he, he was as fit as a fiddle when he left. I mean, in, in 80 81, he scored at Brighton just before he left in the League Cup. Um, there's players in that team were probably just over half his age. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but real, yeah, real nice guy as well. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, talk a little bit about Mark Haley. How did it all begin for him? Because um, uh, when he first sort of broke through, I think he was playing wide left with me on the wing, and because yeah. they had the likes of Ferguson, Wallace, and Gary Thompson. Um, you know, obviously uh, big players at the time. Um, how did it all begin for him? Well, it began for him at Forest. Not a lot of people. I certainly didn't know this when I spoke mm. to him. That he was he was under Brian Clough's sort of tenure at Forest, seventy seven seventy eight time with the European Cup winners or soon to be European Cup winners, and he walked into Clough's office for to decide if he was going to be kept on as a, an apprentice. And Clough told him to go and work for the council because he'd never make a footballer. So God, <laughs> he said he was physically sick at that point, and then Gordon Mill took him on after a five minute trial. Right. Um, but his, you know, he he came into the city. Him and Danny Thomas signed professional the same day. Um, he's got a real respect for his time at Coventry. When he left, him Danny Thomas let's see him quite vocal about the money problems and the lack of ambition. But he said to me, as he said to me on the phone, "What you know then and what you know now is completely different." Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd love to come back to Coventry and see everyone. I think it was just times just moved on so much. But he had nothing but good to say about the players mm-hmm. and the club. Mm. As, as a unit as well I mean he took him 20 that game 80-81 it took him 22 games to score I mean yeah. you'd never think that now Yeah. Um, and he only came back once he only came, a lot of them didn't come back to Highfield Road very often he came back with QPR in about 96 but as a favour mm. to Ray Wilkins um, and, he, and he, he, you know, he, was, he was past his best should we say at that point mm. um, but he says you know it's a real regret sort of thing that he obviously went to Portsmouth we never came across him because he was like in foreign climes mm. and then Scotland mm. So, mm. What does he do now? Where's he? Which part of the country is he? He's in Glasgow. He is an ambassador for Rangers, and he works for Bean Sports right. in Qatar. So he's mm. with the likes of Clive Allen, um, working over in Qatar. They zoom over to and yeah. fro, but he's, he still looks out for the Coventry result. But we're not allowed, uh, expected to see him at Legends Day anytime soon. Then well, I think we've got more chance of seeing him at Golf Day. Yeah, I think there's a. I think there's a more chance of him because he plays golf, mm. and I have mentioned it to him on the phone. Uh, he said he, he would come mm. and do the golf day. It's not that he doesn't want to j- join up with the yeah, yeah, players. It's yeah. just the geography is all the you know the relativeness of where he is. Yeah, yeah. But let's let's talk about another uh, fantastic talent of the day, um, Peter Bodak. Um, and you know, and uh, you know, the whole book is about this sort of um, this magnificent cup run, and um, thirty thousand, well over thirty thousand, I think it was, wasn't it, against Watford at Highfield Road. Um, and he scores what seven minutes in. He scores this wonderful, yeah. wonderful goal. I mean, um, and that was the replay, wasn't it? They 
Yeah. They drawn two two at Vicarage Road. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. And then City yeah. blew them away five 0 So, tell us what you know about that then. I mean, Gordon Milne said it was one of his best memories of Highfield Road watching because he was right behind Bodat's goal. There's no coverage of it anywhere, which is obviously a disappointment for Peter. Mm. But Pete, Peter Bodat played 44 times, scored only seven goals, but every one was a cracker. And his last one was the one on telly against Man City when he chipped Joe Corrigan. <laughs> you know, it's gone YouTube viral. But you know, he's a hell of a nice bloke. But he's got he's got really good memories. He enjoyed his football. Mm. You know, he liked going out, having a drink afterwards, all the glamour. Um, and he went abroad. He played. Every, as Gary Thompson says, everybody talks about him. Says how good a footballer he was. Mm. It's just a shame that we didn't get to keep him for longer because mm. you know a few off pitch things. I mean, he went to Man U. He went to Man City. Um, but it, it didn't really work out, and he ended up with a knee injury about 33, 34. Mm. But he really enjoyed his career. It's just a shame he wasn't at Highfield Road. Mm. Mm. So I mean, he, he had, you know, he could cross a ball. That's what they always said. He could, he could deliver a ball, but he had the skills. You know, a lot of them were saying there's like mercurial skills yeah. on the ball. Oh, yeah. So what about this goal then? So tell us about the goal. What does cutting, he say about cutting it? Cutting from the right, in, in his own words, um, cutting from the right wing, and literally it was in as soon as he left his foot straight into the stanchion. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just it's the same because it triggered it triggered the performance that night. Yeah. They they played so well to win five 0 You get thirty thousand Highfield Road, and we all know how good Highfield Road was yeah, with yeah. ten thousand in, yeah. let alone with you know thirty thousand then attacking the West Terrace second yeah. half. Um, yeah. And Watford had eight thousand there because they had to give them uh, something like twenty five percent, I think, of the seats at that point. Right. Um, and Highfield Road was round. When you look on the back of the book, you got the picture of them all saluting the fans on the halfway line like they do nowadays. But the, the sky blue terrace is packed. You know, all you can mm. see is heads. There's no gaps on the terraces. Mm. And I think that's what they, as young players, it was just, it was just such a good experience for mm. young players playing. Mm. Um, a lot of them. That was his first season. Mm. Senior football. Thomas Haitley Bodak first full season. How old had he been? What, 18? 19? He was 21. 21, was he? No, 19, sorry. He was 19. Mm. So. Wow. So, and that 5 0, I mean, was that, presumably that was the performance. Of the run of the I cup, think it was run. probably performance of the season. Mm. I think. I mean, the West, but the West Ham comeback in the semi-final was probably close on it in terms of pulling you know, three goals in nineteen minutes at the end. Mm. But that five nil made everyone just believe, made the players believe that they could do something. And mm. then of course, they drew second division West Ham, who were top of the table and clear at that point on their mm. way back to Division One. Who played? Who won the FA Cup the previous May? Mm. Been in the Charity Shield against Liverpool. And we're in the quarterfinals of the European Cup Winners' Cup through winning the FA Cup as a Division Two side. So it was a tricky game on paper, but um, the Watford one was just like the real wow. You talk to people now; they mm. still this book has triggered off the memories. A lot of people on Clive Eakin's phone were talking about it as well. Um, and it's just, it's just you know, you, you've got to remember these glory times because obviously mm. at the moment we haven't had many glory times for quite a while. Yeah. So it's quite nice to save these and. And fond memories and they all had a story these yeah. players all had a story to tell and they, they've, they're they really grateful not grateful sorry that's the wrong word they've really enjoyed bringing their story out because mm. they've always had a story to tell um, and they were you know they all played over 100 games the majority of them in Division 1 for the club mm. and what you know obviously the, the disappointment 29 minutes from from Wembley, you know, when they finally went out, what you know, what was this sort of general feeling when they're looking back now at that that moment? I think at the time they all thought we'll get to another semi-final, and there's very few of them that actually did. I mm. think that's the biggest regret is they thought then we'll be all right, we'll get back. 
you know, Peter Bodart says he went to the League Cup final to watch Villa in 77, Everton beat them. And he was like, yeah, we'll be all right, we'll get back. He was 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. But he says, you know, it took years for them to get back to a final, him being a Villa fan. Um, and it's the same here. I mean, Gary Thompson, I think he played in the FA Cup semi in 84 for Sheffield Wednesday against Everton at Villa. There's not many of them, though, that played. I mean, Gary, Gary Gillespie obviously did, and Hayley had some, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of success over up in Scotland as well as... Um, Italy and France mm. but a lot of the guys I mean a lot of them have retired at 26, 27 with injuries yeah. Andy Blair um, Steve Jacobs Danny Thomas um, mm. so there's a lot of there's a lot of looking back thinking at that age you just take everything in your stride uh, as we can all remember being 21 you generally tend to mm. um, and as a result they all thought oh we'll be alright next season we'll get back mm. but like me thinking FA Cup 87 oh we'll, we'll be fine we'll get, that, get back next year <laughs> Until Watford uh, popped up, and um, Tony Coven in particular. <laughs> out of all the players that you you interviewed, um, perhaps unfair for you to say, but I mean, was there one that the, that stood out that made a real impression on you that you you enjoyed talking to the most for whatever reason? I think was Gary Thompson's Gary Thompson had probably a twenty-year career. Him and Hayley went on to have long careers. Out of all the guys. It's just the stories. I think he, he's got a lot of memories, mm. Gary Thompson, and they're all... It was triggered off the other week when they all bumped into Jacobs after 34 years of the reunion, and it made them realise when Jacobs said, that's really special coming back to see these guys, I haven't seen them for so long. And they thought, yeah, we did have something really good at that time. I mm. think that's what's come up. I enjoyed speaking to Paul Dyson. He's very, you know, he's very honest, straightforward. Um, he's got some good stories. Brian Roberts was box office. Just mm. so funny. Mm. Every everything everything was a quip. Mm. Um, Danny Thomas, you know, have a nice chat because obviously Danny Thomas last time we saw him was on the Wembley bench yeah. uh, for Spurs in the '87 with his knee in a in a brace, and he got he got lovely memories of all the guys, and he only sees he only comes back to the UK once a year at the moment from Florida, so he didn't see them very often. Is he a physiotherapist now? Yeah, he's yeah. Runs, he works in Orlando. And he's been out there for about four or five years, so he he hasn't seen the guys very often. Mm. Um, but this all, yeah, just it just it just triggers off the memories. Haitley, it was unique. I didn't think I would speak to Mark Haitley, and then Raj Athwell, the former commercial manager of Cov. Yeah, um, I stumbled across Raj on Twitter, and he very kindly helped me speak to Mark. It took a few months, um, but we got it done. But then one of the best players who saw him was Steve Hunt. I got to speak to Steve Hunt. I mean, Steve Hunt's very rarely involved in football nowadays, but his 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 memories of Highfield Road uh, is his best part of his playing days right bearing in mind he went on to West Brom got an England cap etc so. mm. I was going to ask you about him because yeah. you mentioned because uh, he was the first player um, to score a goal in the Admiral Brown kit wasn't yeah. he yeah he I mean that's about that. he thought it was a training top and they went to put it on <laughs> I mean, it's funny you know I mean, it was you know a lot of people hated it at the time certainly outside of Coventry um, but you know I think I don't know whether you do, but I do. I look back with great fondness, yeah. you know, because I love the sky blue kit version of it. Yeah. You know, the home kit. I mean, that was the I kit. I long kit. sleeve one from somewhere. I don't know where that right. from. Uh, but that was <laughs> my kit as a kid. You yeah. know, that was it. and yeah. uh, it was fantastic. And I just love that kit. And and now you look back at the brown one in there because they did a red version yeah. as well, didn't they? Well, the club. There was a bit of minor uproar about a year ago when the club brought out the brown replica shirt. Mm saying oh they're jumping on the bandwagon of the Admiral stuff and the brown one came out with a little Talbot sign on and people said well hang on we never played in that we never played with a little Talbot on the kit they've got it wrong 
And this went on for a few months, and then it was my book that triggered off as a picture of Mick Cooper, Brighton, with a T. It's the only time they ever wore it as a brown. So, of course, all the collectors are saying, well, actually, that kid's now quite valid in the club shop, because mm. it, it was actually worn on one occasion. Yeah, yeah. But I know Hayley's got a couple in his loft. I think a few of them have got kits, but they, they wish they'd kept hold of them now mm. for collector's items. Yeah. Yeah, and so what, where, where's Steve Hunt now? What's he doing? Steve with Hunt's on the Isle of Wight managing cows. Right. Um, which he's he's run a soccer school down there for years, and he's now gone into management, which is why we unfortunately couldn't get him up here this Saturday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was he was a nice guy, Steve Hunt. Yeah, he's, he's fell out of love with the modern game mm. in terms of the professional game, um, but he you know he he loves his time. He enjoyed his career. Yeah. Had, a, had a great time. Obviously, he was at the New York Cosmos mm. before he came to City as well. Um, and he's now managing. Right. Now tell me about the goal that never was then, Clive Allen's goal at, uh, for Palace. The yeah, ref said no. I tell us about that. I was a six-year-old looking at it thinking, wow, that went in. Because in those days, there was like a, a metal stanchion down the back of the goal, and Clive Allen had hit a free kick. It just pinged out, bounced down. But the, the interesting reaction was Mick Coop, because he just played on as if nothing had happened. Um, Clive Allen and the Terry Fenix of this world, who were always grumbling when they played football, Jim Cannon, it was quite a, a rough team, that Palace team, mm. as in they were quite aggressive. Um, and the, refer the poor referee literally got it wrong, the linesman got it wrong. Um, and Mick Coop just played on as if nothing had happened. The best one though was Jerry Daly, who literally ran past the ref and said, it hit the bar, let's get on with the game for Christ's sake. Like this. <laughs> so he's there. <laughs> and he's of the belief that he literally like confused the ref that much, that the ref had got nothing to play back on. Even John Motson said he thought it was a goal first off, but when he actually saw the one replay live at the ground, he then realised, but he said, we know why the ref got it wrong, because he didn't have any replays, mm. and the linesmen weren't up to it, you know. Mm. Yeah. And then the game turned into a bit of a kick-in kick free-for-all then, right. because obviously Palace was so frustrated. They went down that year, they didn't win a single game away from home, and if they were, that would have taken it back to two-all, so you yeah. never know how that season might have panned yeah. out. But it was quite nice to speak to Clive Allen and then drop in 87. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, have you got any more questions? I said, 87. He went, that's it, that's enough. Because <laughs> he was phenomenal, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. like, was it 49 goals he scored yeah, that season? 4 5 1, Hoddle, Waddle. I had our dean with Paul Allen, Steve Hodge. Absolutely. Who we all nullified at Wembley. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, when you look back now and you think, God, Going into the, that final 87, I mean, you just think, when they've got a striker of that yeah. ilk, you know, and you just think, crack it. Just, I mean, they did well in the Littlewoods Cup. I think they lost to Arsenal in the semis of the Littlewoods that mm -hmm. when David Rowcastle scored. Mm -hmm. um, they were they played a lot of games. But. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell me about uh, Les Seeley then, because um, he was sort of one of the vocal um, yeah. members of the team. What, what did the lads, um, what were their memories of, of Les? Obviously, sadly, no longer with us. Yeah, I mean, their, their memories... <clears throat> are of the time with him it wasn't about the time when he left now I got a someone popped a question on Twitter to me the other week and said um, is it a fair representation of his time at Cov because of it's nothing but praise for him but they're doing it from a teammate perspective of how they knew him as a person they're not looking at the person that um, left the club and then obviously every time he came back with Luton there was, he was always controversial and of course we all know he came back on loan for a couple of games mm -hmm. in it's about 94 94 maybe or, so, or maybe a bit earlier than that when Oggy was injured uh, and he came back and went straight to the West Terrace and applauded them but he yeah I mean he's, he was 
I mean, Jim Blythe and him used to share the duties in goal, like Clements and Shilton for England, so there'd be quite a lot of rotation. Neither of right. them probably played enough games because of the other. But I mean, he, he had a really good season that year. I mean, he fluffed up a couple in the semi-final against West Ham, but on, as Steve Hunt said, you know, he'd had a good season that time, mm. and it was rare you know, for him to make an error. And in the, the second leg at West Ham, he had an outstanding game, but he just got beaten by a real moment of quality mm. um, on the hour when Paul Goddard scored. But his, um, Les, Les Seeley's wife is Terry Gibson's cousin. Right. So she's actually got a copy of this. Uh, we sent the copy via Terry Gibson to her, because it's I can imagine it probably quite a memory for her yeah. because of what the players are, are sort of relating memories about him. There's also a lot of Telegraph headlines uh, when he had the penalty save in one of the, the Cambridge game. So there's a lot of... Um, I haven't heard anything from them, but I'm, I'm assuming that they're happy with it and everything. Yeah. And, um, it's, a nice rep- it's a nice memory for, for his kids as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And did you speak to Ian Wallace and Mick Ferguson? Briefly. Briefly Ian Wallace. Um, um, uh, not as only a, uh, a few minutes. Mick Ferguson was a good chap. He was, he was a nice guy, actually. He just retired from Leeds, his community development role. But his was obviously, time was coming to a close at City around that mm. time. And then, of course, the season after he came back with Everton and knocked us out of the League Cup. But he's, he's got the nice memories at the time. I think it was just frustrating. He had a lot of injuries. Picked up, they used to say he had size six feet, which triggered off a lot of ankle injuries. And of course, he scored three hat-tricks in 77, 78, which if you got that now in the top flight, You'd be on the news all the time if it was someone. Mm. It was someone like let's think Lukaku or uh, Diego Costa. Had it been, they'd be it'd be on there all the time. He scored mm. three hat tricks in one season. Um, he scored four against Ipswich, and of course that's the last City player to have scored four in a league game. Mm. Um, and you know that just sums up our lack of hat tricks, would not it, in general? Yeah, it's quite sad, really. I was, I was going to sort of bring it back to the the future, really, what to now, the, the here and now. I mean, you know, what what are your thoughts on the the current way things are going? It's, it's like the life's been sucked out of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you all go, you've all got these memories. You know, I sort of I don't fall back into the eighties era deliberately with writing these books. It's just that I think when I when I go to the games now, I love atmosphere. And um, you know you enjoy it when you've got good crowds and everything. And mm. when I sit at the Rico, there's like six seats spare to the left, six seats spare to the right. There's no one in front, and it's so patchy. You go to the away games. I mean, I've been Swindon, Yeovil, and uh, uh, Luton this year. Great atmospheres. Mm. The stands are full. Um, obviously, Yeovil wasn't great, but. Um, Swindon was probably our best performance, I mm. think, um, and Luton was was pretty good. I and mean, obviously, it was quite nip and tuck till till the close. But mm. um, it's just enjoyable watching the crowd and atmosphere is what you go to football for. I mean, the Rico is just it's consoleless, and we we know obviously, you know, people are staying away, and the crowds are, are less. We did have crowds of eight thousand in nineteen eighty two, mind yeah. Division One. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's it's not it's not a chore. That's the wrong expression. But I just I just want to be entertained. And obviously, the further we've gone down the leagues, I think the surmise for it was Forest Green, when their keeper must have wasted about 15 minutes of the 90 moving his goal kicks from the edge of one box to the other side of his box, and the refereeing standards just seem to be woeful. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting to have you know Premier League refs pop up in our league like they don't, do they? They don't. They don't even pop up in League One. Mm. But we're just getting teams parking the bus, and it's killing the game. Mm. And but you can see why they're doing that. Yeah. You know, it's a big, it's a big trophy, isn't it? It's a big country. Yeah.
Um, it's just a shame. I think I, th- I still think though the next five games, if we get some points, we'll put ourselves in a good position for the new year. Otherwise, we're going to get to about twelfth, thirteenth with this yeah. point chasm between seventh and twelfth. Yeah. I think we can make it. We need to beat these teams over Christmas. Mm. But they're just so infuriatingly inconsistent, aren't mm. they? You know, they go to Morecambe, they're fourth and uh, bottom, and uh, you just think, you know, they they'd won three games at home. They'd mm. only won four in the league. Yeah all season scored seven goals at the Globe Arena and we go there and, and you know, City failed to turn up you know it's just I, mean, I was at work on Saturday and I went I timed my lunch for three o'clock and I went downstairs put on final score and you just expect City to take the lead mm. you know I still do it's Premier League expectations yeah. that are still stuck in here and you expect us to win against these teams and when it goes like more than one country you're like oh Christ yeah. Because you just expect yeah. City to turn up and do the business. Like at Lincoln, you're the week, one or down, oh, or two or not, great. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what you expect. Mm. And it's our mentality where we're all, we were spoiled for so long. You know, mm. me, 22 seasons watching Division One Premier League football. Yeah. You get spoiled. You go into the Championship. I mean, I remember doing the On This Day book signing 2010, I think it was at Christmas, we were fourth in the Championship. The club shop was rammed with people, yeah. not necessarily all coming to see us, but it was rammed. You know, you got a club shop in place, proper football club, um, and A.D. Boothroyd was in charge, and I think there was 12,000 there that day. Mm. And I looked at the comparison with the Crawley one the other week when there's 6,500 there, and you just think, mm. we've got a, club, got a club shop the size of Greg's, basically, in a nutshell. Um, and it's just really, just, it's just sad. It's mm. just sad. It's just, you know, I know there's other clubs that have done it and come back, but unless this takeover, which has gone very quiet, and you know, it's gone very, very quiet, uh, comes to fruition, mm. then, I mean, I'll sell the books and put every bit of money into the club. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. The, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the one bit of success that, that City fans have had, and they've had at least one big day out, and that was yeah. Wembley last season, uh, Czech Trade Trophy, April the 2nd. Um, but... You know, as as good as that day was, I mean, can you imagine yourself in ten years' time writing a book about that and contacting no. the players? No, I couldn't. I couldn't at all. Um, just because I think football's changed so much. I think, you know, you look at the salaries they're on nowadays for the level of football they're playing. I mean, the working men, the working man in eighty eighty one was earning probably the same as the footballers. The mm. footballers were basically on bonus money for wins and appearances. And I think that's the difference. I think fans identify with these characters of like Jim Brown's book and my book mm. because they weren't earning like three thousand pounds a week and and earning that in the summer when they don't even play. Mm. Um, I think that's the difference. I think with all the mega books in the game, I think it's just it's mm. taking it all out. And no disrespect to the the lads pulling on the shirt now, but no. they they probably haven't got half the talent that those lads had. Yeah, and it's the characters in the game as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's the characters. I mean, it's they're all almost like mercenaries, aren't they? They just sort of move on. It's, you've got no. I mean, Jim Brown, bless him, he needs to be retired from work to keep up to date with the amount of debuts. Was it something like seventy-two debuts in three <laughs> seasons, which is phenomenal? Yeah. I mean, how he how he keeps all these records up to date? I know he's got a system, but it's just. Mm. we've had so many people through the door the kids of the youth of today don't get any heroes because they don't stay long enough mm. you know the duck's doing some great stuff and he's got twitter icons there's ducks everywhere but you know he could be gone in January hopefully he won't be mm. but the kids don't get like an icon that plays 
you know, scores all the goals. Adam Armstrong was probably the potentially the last one where yeah. the young kids can identify and say, I yeah. want to be Adam Armstrong. Yeah. And again, you know, there for a season here today, gone yeah. tomorrow and you know, and taken away from them. But uh okay. our last one I reckon, I mean I'm thinking back it was probably something like Big Mo. Yes. You know, a real yeah. sort of fans icon that it's like a they just identify with him as mm. a as a as a city player, you know, just it's yeah. the same the Huckabees and the Dublins you know the the players that stayed for you know a fair few years then, yeah. yeah 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 of course it's, it'd be the um, it's the 20th anniversary of Huckabee's fantastic goal yeah, against yeah. Man United coming up isn't it yeah but uh, yeah I remember that well but uh, yeah heady times indeed well listen Steve thanks ever so much for your time that's Thank Steve you. Phelps um, and his book 29 Minutes from Wembley the inside story of the 80-81 season is published by Pitch and available at all good bookshops Twelve ninety nine, is it yeah. Steve? Um, obviously perfect Christmas present exactly it fits in that stocking just nicely thanks Steve <laughs>